Tonight from Ottawa, a national push to mask up as hospitals fill up. Rampage viruses reviving COVID precautions. If I don't have to, I'm not going to, right? As parents struggle with a shortage. This is my, like, a 41-shop search to searching for a medication for my child. A faded flag and a fascinating story of remembrance. It's so important that these artifacts are brought to life. Traced back to the deadly raid on Dieppe. Plus, a study in resilience. Jacqueline Lavallee. It's always spoken, it's not written down on some paper. The graduates charting a new course for Indigenous learning. CTV National News with Omar Sachadina, reporting tonight from Ottawa. The poppy drop on Parliament Hill ahead of Remembrance Day tomorrow. Good evening, everyone. On the eve of that solemn ceremony reflecting on the past, a warning about the immediate future. New concerns today about the rising rate of flu infections putting more pressure on hospitals already dealing with COVID and a surge of the respiratory virus, or RSV. The latest numbers show positive tests for influenza went from 1.5% to 6.4% over a two-week period. If it stays over 5%, a declaration of a nationwide epidemic will follow. CTV's Heather Butts on the new warnings. Canada's top doctor is warning of a triple threat challenging the healthcare system. These surveillance indicators point to the need for stepped-up precautions. Relaxed public health measures, outdated vaccinations and lower immunity to other respiratory viruses, all contributing to the surge of COVID, influenza and RSV and hitting hospitals already under strain from staffing shortages. This third winter of COVID-19 comes with some cautions. Among the recent lab-confirmed cases of influenza, more than half were in children and teenagers. Pediatric hospitals are reporting long wait times and increased admissions, kids who have not built up immunity in recent years. The numbers are just so great that the tip of the iceberg in terms of the most severe cases that require critical care uh, has really risen. Driving the need for medication like children's Advil and Tylenol up 300%. The supply chain is struggling to keep up. Health Canada has approved importation of some drugs from the U.S. and Australia. Little relief for those with sick children. More than 10 location? None of them. None of them. It's, it's really hard. It's really stressful because you care about your baby. Desperate parents now driving across the border to find medication. We had a family in on Sunday, drove, drove all the way across uh, Peace Bridge, came in uh, just to purchase some Tylenol. But we're having a difficult time getting it. Some parents are seeking compounding pharmacies in Canada that can make medications from scratch, a great resource for emergency situations, but not when the need is this great. Compounding is not a good stopgap measure because the products don't have very long expiry dates, maybe 14 days at most. It can be very expensive. Oftentimes it's not covered by patient plans. Despite all this, Dr. Tam stopped short of calling for a return to mask mandates. We recommend uh, using masks as a layer of protection, uh, but it's up to the provincial authorities to decide what they might do in their own context. Dr. Tam is encouraging people to wear masks and update their vaccinations, along with going back to the basics of hand washing and staying home when sick. Omar. 
All right, Heather Butts in Toronto tonight. Heather, thank you. A teenager with autism was given a blast from a taser instead of compassion by police in Quebec. The officers were responding to a difficult situation, but there are questions tonight on how they reacted. The loudest voice coming from a mother speaking out for son, unable to speak for himself. Here's CTV's Quebec Bureau Chief Geneviève Beauchemin. This is 18-year-old Brandon in hospital pleading with his mom for this to be over. Doctors removing barbs of a taser from his back. I was devastated. I couldn't even talk. Like, uh... Marie Ismay says Brandon has autism, is nonverbal, and spends several days a week at a day centre north of Montreal, a centre from which he often runs away, and police are called. Many officers know him by his first name, says Martin Saint-Pierre of the Mascouche Police. And yesterday morning, police were called twice to bring him back to the centre. Saint-Pierre says Brandon entered into three homes in the neighbourhood when he first walked out of the centre, then another when he fled the second time. But that time, police fired a taser as he was running away from officers. His vulnerable, Brandon, he didn't hurt anybody, so there was no need for that. That's a little, that's extreme, you know. This follows the arrest of a nonverbal 16-year-old with autism in an Alberta playground last month. The RCMP suspected he was impaired. And just last week, this 19-year-old was tasered in Ontario. Police say he had tried to get into a car in a house his father posted online that he was playing in the leaves when officers found him. Advocates say police need better training. There's always a fear that an untrained police officer may not understand the, the behaviours of um, autistic uh, children or, or people. Ismay worries Brandon may suffer from long-term trauma and is concerned about any future run-ins with police. She also questions whether racism played a part. I really wonder if it was... Like, um, sorry to see a white kid if they would have reacted the same way that they did yesterday. Ismay plans to file a formal complaint, and police have launched an internal investigation. Omar. Genevieve Beauchemin in Montreal. Genevieve, thank you. A Calgary teen was found guilty of manslaughter today after originally being charged with first-degree murder for the hit-and-run death of a police officer on New Year's Eve two years ago. Obviously, we don't feel justice was served here. Sergeant Andrew Harnett's family expressed frustration. The officer died after being dragged by a fleeing SUV and into the path of an oncoming car. The driver, who can't be identified because he was a minor at the time, will remain in custody until his sentencing next year. And a global investigation has led authorities to the alleged Canadian-Russian mastermind behind the LockBit cyber attacks targeting critical infrastructure. LockBit ransomware blocks access to data until ransom is paid. The U.S. Department of Justice says members of the hacking group have made at least $100 million, and there have been more than 1,000 victims. The DOJ says the 33-year-old was arrested in Ontario and awaiting extradition to the U.S. The accused killer in a deadly fight captured on cell phone video at a Saskatoon nightclub over the weekend is now out on bail after the Crown and Defence both agreed to her release without a bail hearing. CTV's Bill Fortier on the downgraded charges, the backlash and the police response and a warning, the details are disturbing. 
At least two cell phone videos, some too graphic to air, appear to show the violent moments that led to the death of 23-year-old Hodan Hashi last weekend in a Saskatoon bar. Today, 22-year-old Paige Tarot Fisher, accused of killing Hashi, was granted bail and released from jail, days after the charge against her was downgraded from second-degree murder to manslaughter. Paige was... Uh certainly had no intention of this ever happening. The lesser charge drew fierce public backlash, some alleging systemic racism. The victim is Somali-Canadian. Saskatoon police responded to the criticism as the investigation progressed and officers were able to view video from multiple sources and interview witnesses. The evidence instead supported a charge of manslaughter. People jump to conclusions. Uh, they may see a grainy video. Even the prosecutor consented to bail and defended the manslaughter charge. I can say without a shadow of a doubt that the police made the correct decision. They're, the circumstances do not warrant a charge of murder. Police say the two women knew each other. Fisher's lawyer hinting at a not guilty plea. We're confident as this matter proceeds that the facts will demonstrate that this was an act of self-defense that resulted in an unfortunate tragedy. Hashi was from Ottawa. A GoFundMe page set up to help cover the funeral and the cost of bringing her body home has surpassed its $42,000 goal. Terrell Fisher's bail conditions include a curfew and she can't have alcohol or weapons. She'll be back in court December 15th. Omar. All right, Bill, thanks. Overseas to Ukraine now, where forces have freed dozens of settlements in their push to retake Kherson after Russia ordered a retreat from the region. Kyiv, though, is ordering caution, insisting Moscow soldiers could turn the area into a, quote, city of death on their way out. The city is likely to be laced with improvised explosive devices. Ukrainian soldiers were greeted with tears and hugs in liberated areas. The defense minister says there are still 40,000 Russian troops there and it could be weeks before they all leave. The war in Ukraine is expected to be on the agenda when the leaders of two major world powers meet for the first time in Bali, Indonesia on Monday ahead of the G20 summit. The White House is already downplaying expectations for U.S. President Joe Biden's face-to-face -face with his Chinese counterpart Xi Jinping. The relationship between the two countries has frayed because of tensions over Taiwan, Hong Kong, and China's ties with Russia. There was another major blow to women's rights and freedoms in Afghanistan today after the Taliban banned women from using gyms a day after excluding them from visiting parks. The group has tightened its grip since taking over last year. They've also blocked teenage girls from school and restricted women from most jobs, effectively shutting them out of public life. Our permanent resident is shut out of Canada tonight after taking an overseas trip and losing a piece of vital documentation. She now can't get through the red tape to get back here to her adopted home. CTV's Adrian Gobriel explains. Alone and stranded in a foreign country for two months. I've exhausted all of my emotions throughout this really stressful journey. Ekaterina Usmanova was visiting her family in Russia, who she hasn't seen in three years. A permanent Canadian resident returning home to Toronto, she had a layover in Istanbul in August. That's when her trip took a massive detour, when her Canadian PR card was stolen. I've cried <laughs> all the tears that I could cry out. While trying to replace her PR card, her entry to the Canadian consulate in Istanbul was denied because she's only a permanent resident. The 26-year-old filed paperwork with the Canadian Embassy in Turkey and has reached out to Immigration Canada multiple times. It's been 
a really tough challenge to get a hold of anybody human, to get any human correspondence. Last week, she was let go from her marketing and photography job. She's now unsure how she'll cover rent at her condo in Toronto, where she financially supports her younger sister, who's in college. Uh, thank you for your unconditional love. The notes the two sisters used to share remain on their fridge. Sofia Usmanova has been desperately trying to get her older sister home. Does it feel like the Canadian government's handling this like an emergency? No. I think it's not like only about her, it's about like the immigration system, the, the whole system which really doesn't work properly. Canada plans to welcome nearly 1.5 million new permanent residents over the next three years. Even though the system is in a state of chaos, according to one immigration lawyer. The status quo is not acceptable. Um, you've already got huge backlogs, you've already got huge delays, and yet you want to increase immigration simultaneously. Forced back to Russia, Usmanova has been desperate to return home to Canada for 71 days and counting. CTV News reached out to Immigration Canada about the case multiple times this week. So far, they've been unable to provide an update. Omar? All right, Adrian Gobriel in Toronto tonight. Adrian, thank you. Oscar-winning Canadian filmmaker Paul Haggis has been ordered to pay $7.5 million to an American publicist who accused him of rape. Haggis, she says, invited her to his New York apartment in 2013 after a screening after-party. The jury in the civil suit concluded the compensation was only for suffering and that additional punitive damages are also warranted. They returned to court Monday to begin determining that amount. Time for a short break, but when we come back... He was determined uh, to get it back to the rightful owners. A flag from the doomed battle of Dieppe. Plus... It's going to be pretty catastrophic for anyone that owns a property in this stretch. Nicole carves a destructive path along the Florida coast. The tomb of the unknown soldier at the National War Memorial. An artifact from Canada's past will be placed at the foot of that sacred site tomorrow, ahead of the Remembrance Day ceremony, a flag that was found at the site of what was the bloodiest day for Canadian soldiers in the Second World War. CTV's Judy Trin on how this piece of history finally made its way back home. This Canadian flag was found on the beaches of Dieppe. The red ensign is tarnished by the sea and marked by Canada's bloodiest battle in the Second World War. Most of the soldiers were killed on the beaches by uh, the fire, uh, machine gun fire, artillery, uh, airplanes uh, strafing the beaches and the whole nine yards, and the tide comes in. Dieppe was a disastrous dawn raid. Of the 5,000 Canadian soldiers who came ashore, 70% would be killed injured or captured over the course of nine hours. One of them was carrying this flag, which dates back to 1870. Because of this um, value that, that they take on of being symbols, um, they're also of value to, um, to the enemy. So if the Germans get captured, you know, Canadian flags at Dieppe, these would have been um, valued trophies. This flag is at least 150 years old. It may have been one of the first flags carried by Canadian soldiers into battle. Its origin story is still unknown, but clues can be found entwined in its fabric. Salt water has faded the blue of the Union Jack and the provincial symbols, but what could be bloodstains can still be seen. 
I, I think Dad gave you back the history. The flag was almost lost until Mike Lowry's father stumbled on it at a neighbor's garage sale in 1965. The neighbor was an American soldier who got it from a German prisoner he guarded during the Second World War. After his dad's death, Lowry donated the flag to the Royal Canadian Legion. My dad was in World War II. He was a civilian with the Army Corps of Engineers, uh, worked on the Alcan Highway with Canadians. And so I think there was a tie that he had, and I think he wanted to get it back to, I think he kept telling me a family or a military unit that would have some meaning. On the night before, 5,000 Canadians had left England. Only 2,100 were going back. And it's so important that these artifacts are brought to life because they bring back these memories of remembrance, which the Legion wants to make sure that people understand exactly the sacrifices were made by these young men. The Legion wants to conduct DNA analysis to trace it back to the soldier's family and regiment. For now, the flag is home, but its story is incomplete. Judy Trin, CTV News, Ottawa. What an incredible journey. And a reminder that we will bring you live coverage of the National Remembrance Day ceremony from Ottawa tomorrow morning. That's at 10 o'clock Eastern, 7 o'clock Pacific. Still ahead, a surprise discovery in Italy. One that could rewrite ancient Roman history as we know it. Extensive damage after Hurricane Nicole pounded parts of Florida's Atlantic coast, killing at least two people. Nicole came ashore this morning as a Category 1, the first November hurricane in 37 years. It weakened to a tropical storm, but not before destroying beachfront homes and washing away property. I, I had four or five people walk up to me wondering where they're going to live. Environment Canada says the same weather system is expected to hit the East Coast Saturday as a typical fall storm. Well, from rare late-season hurricanes to rare artifacts, archaeologists have unearthed a fascinating find in a hilltop town in central Italy. Over 20 bronze statues dating back over 2,000 years were dug up in what's being called one of the most remarkable discoveries in the history of the ancient Mediterranean. Here's CTV's Danielle Hamamjan. More than 100 kilometers north of the Italian capital, a discovery in an old thermal Tuscan bath experts believe could rewrite history. Not just one or two ancient statues, but two dozen exceptionally well-preserved bronze statues from a period in time that might transform our knowledge of ancient Rome. While there were social and civil wars being fought outside the sanctuary, said the coordinator of the dig, inside, the great elite Etruscan and Roman families prayed together. The statues, ranging from 2nd and 1st centuries before Christ, were preserved by mud and boiling water. Their discovery is the most significant ever in the Mediterranean, and eclipsed the one that gave us the Riace warriors. It was 1972 when two Italian divers thought they'd spotted a corpse when what they'd actually found were two life-size Greek bronze statues made in roughly 400 BC. There is even representations of organs, said Italy's director of museums. This is almost an x-ray of human insides from the lungs to the intestines. 
The body parts would have been used to pray to the divinities for medical cures. After 2,000 years in thermal waters, the masterpieces, once meticulously analyzed, will be housed in a museum built specifically for them. Danielle Hamamjan, CTV News, London. After the break, a teachable moment. Jacqueline Lavallee. The grandmother behind an unforgettable graduation day. Convocation ceremonies are typically filled with students anxiously looking ahead to their futures. But for one senior today, the moment capped off a long journey that began with an inspiring message from the past. In tonight's Indigenous Circle, CTV's Donna Sound has the story of an elder and survivor who dared to pursue a dream. It's a walk of pride for the 79-year-old great-grandmother who graduated from the University of Toronto today, receiving her doctorate in education. I've been excited and I couldn't sleep the past couple of nights. <laughs> it was Jacqueline Lavallee's lifelong journey to reach this accomplishment. Jacqueline Lavallee. And it was a message from her father that made her keep going all these years. When you get big, like when you become a woman, you need to pursue an educational field, right? Lavallee is a lifelong educator. As a teacher, and as elder in residence at U of T. She is also a residential school survivor with a message for up and coming students. Not to be afraid to tell their story because it does, it's valid. As elder in residence, she would have gotten an honorary doctorate, but Lavallee wanted to earn it. U of T professor Eve Tuck supervised Lavallee as her academic mentor. Dr. Lavallee's research has allowed us to think and learn more about what is the role of elders in the university. That role for Lavallee is to focus on traditional medicine through oral history teachings. And because of her thesis work, this lodge has been built as a new learning space for students. It's a first for the university. They didn't know anything about our healing, our healing methods. Lavallee is one of over 3,800 graduates this year. She is certainly one of the oldest. Lavallee will continue on as elder in residence at U of T, teaching Indigenous knowledge to help develop curriculum. Donna Sound, CTV News, Toronto. What a testament to resilience and determination. Congratulations, Dr. Lavallee. And that is a snapshot of this Thursday for all of us at CTV National News. Thank you for watching. We'll see you again in the morning for the National Remembrance Day Ceremony. Until then, good night from Ottawa.